Hello again, it's your friendly neighborhood host, J.T. Wheatley, back for another episode of the History Comics Podcast, this time with the tragically short life of Mike Waringo. Every industry is filled with stories of talents that died too soon, and comic books are no exception. A prime example is Mike Waringo, a talented draftsman and storyteller who passed away far too soon at the age of 44, but before that time left a distinguished career in Marvel, DC, and his own created work. Michael Lance Waringo was born on June 24, 1963 in Vincenza, Italy to Cecil E. and Shirley Dean Waringo. This was due to his father, Cecil, being stationed there while serving in the Army. As a result of his father being in the service, the Waringo family would move around a lot, going from New York City, Virginia, and eventually back to Europe. They would eventually settle in Virginia, where his uh, father owned some property. Waringo's father was from Lynchburg, Virginia, while his mother was from Madison Heights, just a few miles away. Five years after his birth, Mike Waringo's younger brother, Matt, would be born as well. As a kid, Mike Waringo kept to himself and developed more than a few imaginary friends by his own admission. He especially enjoyed comic books, which his father would buy him and his brother at the Camp PX, Postal Exchange, on the base, as he was an avid reader himself. However, between Mike Waringo and his brother, these comics, which ranged from Batman to Uncanny X-Men, were read pretty ragged, as most kids do to this day. Waringo's first comics he can remember were Uncanny X-Men number 104 and Captain Marvel number 50, and he remembered liking DC Comics more at first, but as he got older, he related to the Marvel stories better. Waringo also enjoyed reading, especially authors like J.R.R. Tolkien or Robert E. Howard Edgar Rice Burroughs. Outside of reading, Waringo enjoyed watching Astro Boy, Speed Racer, Gigantor, Buck Rogers, and Star Trek. He also enjoyed Ralph Bakshi's Wizards as a kid, but as an adult, he remembered not liking it as much. He would eventually come out of his shell in high school, making the track team before graduating in 1981. Pretty soon, Mike Ringo was creating his own comics around the age of 12 to 13, which was encouraged by his parents, who he both credited for them being voracious readers themselves. Ringo remembered even at a young age he was fascinated with the idea of ownership, whether it be a park or he designed or a combo character he created, and it would be something he would take to heart in his future career. Ringo would also later make friends with Rodman Johnson and Carlton Hill, fellow comic book fans who helped them with this endeavor. After graduating from high school in 1981, Mike Ringo would be accepted to the Virginia Commonwealth University, VCU, in Richmond, but his family couldn't afford it. Instead, Ringo worked in a grocery store and eventually became a produce manager. However, he soon felt trapped in his job and began studying drawing again in 1985. Ringo reapplied to VCU in 1986, finally able to attend the arts program 1987-1988. After a rough first semester, Ringo was soon on the dean's list for the rest of his college years. He would credit Donald Early for teaching him figure drawing while also breaking some of his bad habits. Ringo also described him as a tough taskmaster who, during his first semester, was a shock to his system. At VCU, Varingo majored in fashion illustration, having originally applied for a commercial art program, but he didn't have a Mac. He would since become a lifelong Mac user, much like myself. Varingo graduated in 1991, and his parents would give him money so he could work on art samples for his submissions to studios all summer. His first actual job was at Millennium Productions and on their Doc Savage Doom Dynasty adaptation, which he only got because editor Mark Ellis overruled his partner to give the fledgling artist his first job. When Marengo felt he compiled enough for a proper portfolio, he went to the San Diego Comic Convention in 1992. There, he met Neil Posner, the new talent director at DC, who helped him get some work by showing it to other DC editors. 
As he liked Waringo's storytelling, from the beginning, Waringo preferred clear storytelling over intense detail. Unlike other new artists, instead of responding to Waringo's follow-up samples via mail, Posner actually called him to discuss what he needed to work on. It helped that DC was still publishing several anthology series in the 1990s that allowed space for new artists to show off their work. At DC, editors uh, Brian Augustin and Robert uh, Diaz gave him two short stories in Justice League Quarterly No. 11, a Thelma and Louise-inspired story doc- starring Dr. Light and Ice, and another featuring Wonder Woman, Ice, Crimson Fox, and Power Girl having a slumber party. He would get more work with the following issue, number 12, but since this wasn't regular work, Ringo was still working at the grocery store to make ends meet, and as a result, they didn't quite meet his deadlines. It helped DC was likes with him at the time. However, his next job, job would require his full attention. This start apparently impressed editor Brian Augustin enough that he encouraged Michael Ringo to try out for The Flash. After submitting some sample pages showing The Flash running, he was given the job of penciling Volume 2 of the series with Mark Wade writing. This would be an acclaimed run in The Flash, penciling issues number 80 to 92, September of 1993 to July of 1984, along with issue number 0 in October of 1994, and even and while providing several covers thereafter. During this run with writer Mark Wade, they co-created the character Bart Allen Impulse in The Flash in issues number 91 to 92, originally the grandson of the Barry Allen The Flash from the future. The character has been a mainstay in DC Comics ever since, including outside media appearances. Most recently, he's been played by actor Jordan Fisher on the Flash CW TV show, but this time is the son of Barry Allen and his wife, Iris West Allen. Since the Flash was a monthly book with a set schedule, where Ingo had to quit his uh, grocery store job to work on his art full-time, finally making it to a, as a professional artist. In addition, he moved to North Carolina to join an art studio at the, at the invitation of Chuck Wolvelich and Richard Case, which he jumped at at the opportunity as he felt working alongside fellow creative types would help his work. Waringo did credit the DC staff, especially writer Mark Wade, with being very encouraging in his work. However, Waringo would admit to being easily distracted. Mark Wade jokingly called him the magpie due to his inability to pay attention, thus he would never stay on the project for too long. Despite that, Waringo always committed to finish before, he was, before leaving. Next, Waringo went to Marvel for a four-part Rogue miniseries, January to April of 1995, a job he was initially excited about as he loved the character, but would later state it was a story that would have been better served in the regular X-Men books. Waringo even said the writer of the series later apologized to him about his work in the book. This, that being said, the, the Rogue comic book was successful, raising Mike Waringo's profile even higher in the industry while also delivering a nice royalty check. It was also during this time he started providing covers and other small jobs for Marvel. Ringo's next regular gig was back at DC on Robin for a nine-issue run, penciling issues number 19 to 22, 25 to 28, and 31 during the 1995-1996, and he continued on as cover artist for several issues after. He also provided work for some independent companies such as Firearm Number Zero on, number, on November of 1993 with Rob Haynes and Godwill Number 2 on February of 1995 for Malibu Comics. Ringo also penciled the cover for the Explorers Number 2 in 1995 for Explorer Plus. He would also pencil Spider-Boy number 1 in April of 1996 as part of the DC-Marvel Amiglam crossover event in which the character was a combination of Spider-Man and Superboy. This would lead to Mike Ringo's next big assignment. After that uh, comic, uh, he got a call from uh, editor Ralph Macchio at uh, Marvel where he went back to work on the sensational Spider-Man. Originally, Dan Jurgens was writing and drawing the book from the start and was planning to leave after six, just six issues. 
He succeeded on issue number seven by writer Tom DeZirga, with uh, Waringo joining with issue number eight and uh, running through issue number 31, penciling all but eight issues, September of 1996 to October of 1998. He would also provide covers for most of them, along with co-plying several, with and even penciling the issue number negative uh, one on uh, July of 1997. This would be part of a two-year exclusive contract to Marvel, which Waringo signed on December of 1997. Waringo was excited to work on Spider-Man, considering one of the comic's most iconic characters. With his art, he arcing back to the Spider-Man's look to uh, co-creator uh, Steve Ditko's original take, it would also make him more wirely over being muscular. He especially loved drawing the character, as it was his most iconic to, to that point. Ringo especially liked working with for uh, Ralph Macchio, crediting him as one of the few editors who was also a writer, and it thus understood creative teams need to work together. During his run of Sensational, Waringo very much enjoyed drawing guest stars like Doctor Strange and Kazar, along with adventures in places like the Savage Land, but he would admit being frustrated when the book was hijacked in the story by various crossovers Marvel was doing at the time. Somehow, during this time, Mike Ringo also managed to produce a Gen 13 bootleg for Wildstorm Image Comics, despite having been called for jury duty at the time. Reportedly, he brought his drawing materials to the courthouse to continue working. Unfortunately, despite believing that they had gone and they could have gone on for at least another year on the book, Marvel decided to relaunch all the Spider-Man books, resulting with him and Dezuga being uh, given their walking papers at Sensational, which was canceled with issue number 35 in November of 1998. This was part of Marvel's larger bankruptcy shakeup at the time, which would only cause more headaches for Waringo. Still under contract at Marvel, Waringo dis- was supposed to go on to the Hulk, as did Marvel editor-in-chief Bob Harris, one of the new creative team on the series, believing writer Peter David had been on it for too long, despite still providing some solid sales. This would cause some eternal friction at, as the Hulk editor, Barbara Bobby Chase, hated losing uh, Peter David as, as the writer in the series, as they had had a long and acclaimed run in the comic and felt Waringo was being forced onto her. It didn't help that Harris reportedly replaced Peter David before Chase had a chance to talk to him. As a result, Waringo was even declined to uh, work on the book due to these issues, and he didn't even know who, as he didn't even know who the writer was going to be. This led to a series of aborted projects, as Waringo was set to do the Sea Hulk Thing series, but due to restructuring, nothing came of it. Next, he was supposed to do a fill-in on Alpha Flight, but that fell apart as well. Since Waringo was under contract at Marvel, he wasn't allowed to do any other work outside of the company. Plus, he wasn't too impressed at what Marvel was offering, calling their proposals subpar at best. Ringo would blame editor Bob Harris for most of the tension and confusion, with him only being able to do X-Men number one half during these six months. Ringo did state he did enjoy that book, as it was an alternative take on the X-Men in a fantasy medieval setting. However, however, despite his frustration along with that last comic, it would inspire Ringo to make the jump to create their own works. Mike Ringo would come up with a fantasy series with his sensational Spider-Man writer Todd Dezuga, Telos, inspired by his work on the X-Men number one half. He came up with this as he was nearing the end of his contract at Marvel and was talking with Jeff Loeb on a project, which at the time was a take on the Legion of Superheroes and Teen Titans for DC Comics. Ringo went so far as to work up some character designs, but DC ultimately passed him the pitch. This was the final motivation Ringo needed to try his own creator-owned book. For two to three months, Mike Ringo worked on this fantasy series, Telos, a name that image publisher Eric Larson hated at the time. For Ringo, it was meant to be a play on the phrase, Tell Us, and it was a fantasy series about a young boy, Jarek, as in his 
anthropomorphic tiger companion Kojo, who was set off on an adventure when they encounter a pirate Sarah, Fox Thief Rick, his uh, companion crime Hawk, Brad the Dragon, and Tom the Turtleless Wizard, along with numerous others, uh, mysterious and magical characters. The heroes attempt to unravel the mystery of Jarek's past while also running from Malazor, a mad boy wizard bent on Jarek's destruction. To help Jarek, he also has a genie sworn to protect him, but only him, which sometimes forces Jarek to throw himself into battle to force the genie to protect his friends. The fantasy world consists of numerous other humans and anthropomorphic animals, and even detoured from the lead characters Jarek and Koj, as Hawk and Rick went on a separate adventure. In the latter part of the series, Jarek suffers an eye injury forcing him to wear an eye patch, while also defeating Malazor once and for all. Telos lasts for only, for only 10 issues, May of 1999 to November of 2000, with the first seven being published from Image Comics, and the last three through Gorilla Comics, a short-lived Im- Image imprint where Ingo founded with several other creators, only for it to become defunct in 2000. He, he originally planned for it as an ongoing series, and even tried to get it to sell better by only charging $2.50 per comic over $2.99, which is standard at the time. Unfortunately, low sales kept the series from continuing, though Waringo always planned to return at some point, such as the one-shot Telos made in the voyage in May of 2001, which he sadly wasn't able to continue the series fully. After Telos, Mike Waringo did a fill-in on Meridian for CrossGen before returning to DC to work on The Adventures of Superman, which is number 592-600, on July 2001 to March 2002, with writer Joe Casey. On the series, he would try to copy Ed McGinnis' art style at the time, as he was the popular Superman artist. However, the Superman books were one continuous continuity during this period, meaning that the stories and adventures were leading to action comics and so forth, which made Marco Ringo feel off-balance working on it, as he preferred to draw stories to their conclusion over handing off to some other artist. He also hated some of the stories he was being handed, specifically the 600th anniversary issue that focused on Lex Luthor over Superman. This prompted him to leave the comic as he found no joy in it, despite not despite having nothing else lined up at the time. Thankfully, editor Tom Brevo at Marvel called him for a new job. Ringo's next assignment would be a claim run of Fantastic Four, reteaming him with writer Mark Wade. Beginning with issue number 60 in the October of 2002, Ringo would pencil 27 issues of Mark Wade's 37-issue run, concluding with issue number 524, as the series had returned to its original numbering we saw a revival of the, the rivalry of the team against Dr. Doom. Despite the popularity of your run with both critics and fans, Wade and Waringo were nearly forced off the book when then-President Marvel President uh, Bill Jemis wanted to take the Fantastic Four in a different direction, meaning, leading Mark Wade to be fired as a writer. Jemis wanted to keep Waringo on as artist, but once he read the first script from the new writer, he no longer wanted to be on the book. At one point, he was even in active talks with DC about joining Mark Wade in their Legion of Superheroes comic. However, by the time they came through with a contract, Waringo had committed to Fantastic Four editors Tom Brewer's offer of two more transition issues written by someone else. This soured the folks at DC who then pulled the contract. Thankfully, the fan outcry over the firing of Mark Wade led the Bill Jemis to quickly reverse course, leading to him and Waringo to finish their run. Marvel also offered Waringo a new contract in its place along with his next assignment. After this, Waringo went to Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man series with writer Peter David, penciling issues number 1 to 5 and 8 to 10, along with being the cover artist for the first 19 issues, December of 2005 to January of 2007. Then-Editor-in-Chief Joe Quesada requested this in hopes of keeping heat on the book with some new blood. This came in an ideal time as Waringo was tired of working on Fantastic Four as his two transition issues turned into an 8, as Brevoort wanted him to 
for the full Galactus Storm, Johnny Storm, Galactus Johnny Storm as the, his Herald story arc. It would be the most issues Waringo had ever done in a row, with his previous record being six, so he was pretty burned out at the end. However, Waringo would leave that comic as P- David. David kept uh, telling stories that uh, didn't really star Spider-Man, which is what Mike Ringo was signed on for. The last straw was when Peter David decided to use Friendly Neighborhood to revive some stories from the, his run on Spider-Man 2099, which Ringo was not interested in doing. Of note, the series was canceled after his 24th issue. Mike Ringo de- then began work on Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four miniseries with writer Jeff Parker in April of 2007, but sadly this would be his last work. On August 12th of 2007, Mike Ringo passed away of an auric uh, dissection at his home in Durham, North Carolina. He was survived by his parents, Cecil and Shirley, and his brother Matt. The tributes quickly f- f- followed with Mirage Comics Tales of Teenage Mutant Turtles number 40, Image Comics Elephant Man number 11, and The Walking Dead number 42, along with Marvel Comics Spider-Man Family number 17 being dedicated to his memory. Ringo's last unreleased work, seven pages of a what-if story featuring the new Fantastic Four team of Ghost Rider, the Hulk, Spider-Man, and the Wolverine, were donated to the Hero Initiative, a charity that provides golden and silver age creators of financial assistance. Baringo's uh, comic book peers also pitched in to complete the story, with Arthur Adams, Paul Renaud, Alan Davis, David Williams, Stuart Emon, Cully Hammer, Sanford Green, Scotty Young, Herberto Ramos, Mike Alford, and Barry Kitson contributing to the What If, the Fantastic Four tribute to Mike Baringo a 48-page special that was released in June of 2008. In June of 2017, the Baltimore Comic Con started the Mike Ringo Comic Book Industry Awards, the Ringo Awards, which are handed out annually at the event beginning in September of 2017. Designed to replace the Harvey Awards, which left the uh, venue in 2016. The Ringos provide awards in various fields, from best writer to artist, and past winners have been Scotty Young, Stan Sakai, and Terry Moore. And that is a brief and rambling biography of the sadly too brief life of Mike Ringo. Despite dying at the too young age of 44, he left behind a fantastic comic book legacy, adding to the DC Universe with the character of Impulse, along with acclaimed lungs at Marvel on the Fantastic Four and Spider-Man series. Plus, he provided his own acclaimed book with Telos, though that sadly will never be completed by his co-creator. This is what makes Mark Ringo's death that much more tragic, as he was still in the prime of his career delivering superb art with no doubt many more great works to follow. Unfortunately, those are the swerve life deals you sometimes, as the best we can do is remember those who left us too early were able to accomplish in their time. Thankfully, Mike Ringo provided much for us comic book fans to enjoy. I would like to thank the chief source for this episode, Martin Masters, Volume 9, Micro Ringo, by Todd DeZuga and Eric Nolan Washington, which features a great interview with Micro Ringo, along with some beautiful reprints of his art. A must-read for any comic book fan. My name is Mark McCray, and I'm the author of The Best Saturdays of Our Lives. I'm Dan Klink, co-host of The Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast. The Best Saturdays of Our Lives features programming trends from the 1966 television season all the way through the last hurrah of the early digital age of the 1990s. On the show, if it's animated, we talk about it. Order your signed copy today at tbsool.com. Listen to the podcast at esonetwork.com and all podcast platforms. 
Now it is uh, June 2nd, uh, 2022, time for the favorite comic of the week. Shadow War Omega, number one, by Joshua Williamson, uh, Steven Sergova, Mike uh, Henderson, and uh, Howard Porter, which finds the uh, big bad of the whole Shadow War conspiracy revealed to be none other than Geoforce, the former uh, DC hero, who had a personal grudge against both Ra's al Ghul and Deathstroke, which is why he brought about this entire war to begin with. Joshua Williamson does a great, really a great job explaining how, even though yes, it's weird to have a sub uh, like a C level character like Geoforce made into the big bad, he uses DC's history, both recent and uh, more decades older, showing that no, Geoforce has a really good reason why he hates both Deathstroke and Ra's al Ghul, and why he went through the the, the methods he did. And it's, yeah, it's just a uh, ends up being a great read, and also uh, the supporting cast is great to show off as well. Hi- the highlight being Damian Wayne, who really shows how much of a hero he's grown into. And uh, the, the, the combination of the artist works great as well to deliver some great action in this, uh, the, the end of this event. Uh, and they, they all kind of trend together pretty smoothly, and the result being a, real, a pretty fun uh, ending to a pretty fun event from D.C. And all that, plus a great cliffhanger at the end that leads in the Dark Crisis. And yeah, this was, this was a fun read from beginning to end. And with that, we'll conclude uh, this episode of the History Comics Podcast. Join me again next week for another episode. And until then, go out and enjoy yourself a good comic book.